Word of God. And, uh, but I tell you what, I, you know, I just love church. Amen. If you have a better time at church than I do, you're having an awful good time. First Thessalonians, and we're preaching through that book and I'm going to try to keep rolling here this morning. It will roll right on into tonight. I can promise you that. Joel, thank you. And uh, just want to say to all the visitors that's here this morning, we're glad you're here. And you let the Lord tell you where you need to be and that'll be all right. I don't twist arms and stuff like that. I want the Lord to tell you where you need to be to worship Him and serve Him. But we're glad that you're here. And uh, 1 Thessalonians uh, chapter 5, and we're going to kick in at verse number 1, go through the first uh, several verses pretty quickly, and uh, then get into the message today. But of the times and seasons, brethren, now remember, he's just gotten through telling them about the rapture of the church in 1 Thessalonians chapter 13, verse through 17. Just got through explaining that great event of the taking of the saints of God to Christ. That's in chapter 4, verse 13 through 17. Then he comes into chapter 5, and he's still trying to comfort these people and settle them down from some of the junk that they had been told. But of the times and seasons, brethren, you have no need that I write unto you. For yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord, and we preached on that last week, the day of the Lord so cometh as a thief in the night. I want to address this a little bit. Jesus is not a thief. Amen. He is not stealing something when he comes after his church. Right. It said the day is as a thief, not him. That day is going to come upon people who are lost as a thief. Right. But Jesus is not a thief stealing his saints. Amen. He bought them. Amen. Amen. We belong to him. So kind of get that done because you'll hear people messages preached on the thief in the night and they'll like Jesus is coming to stick. You know, he's stealing nothing from nobody. He owns it all. Amen. Amen. The earth and the fullness thereof. But he said the day of the Lord. Well, what is the day of the Lord? That's that day uh, that I believe begins during the tribulation period and extends into the eternal day in eternity after the millennial reign. Verse number three, for when they shall say, and by the way, this is, fits right into Revelation chapter six, when they shall say peace and safety, then sudden destruction cometh upon them as travail upon a woman and they shall not escape. Somebody makes fun of Rapture Church about escape theology. It is not, it, it is escape theology. In fact, the word is, how shall we, Hebrews chapter two, verse number three says, how shall we escape? if we neglect so great a salvation. He's telling here that it's a good thing, a wonderful thing to escape the day of the Lord's wrath. It's a good thing. Don't, be, don't let anybody cow you down or shame you down because you want to escape the wrath of the Lord and the tribulation, nor let them cow you because you want to escape the wrath of God in eternity. That's why Jesus died so that we wouldn't have to endure that and be part of that. Brother, verse number four, but ye brethren are not in darkness that that day, this day of the Lord, should overtake you as a thief. By the way, if you read this passage of scripture, one way to really keep this lined out, watch the pronouns here. Ye, they, there's two different groups of people all the way down and the way to sort them is by the pronouns that God uses there. Uh, he said, but ye brethren, verse number four, are not in the darkness that that day should overtake you as a thief. Ye, there are all the children of light and children of the day. We are not of the night nor of darkness. Therefore, let us not sleep as do others. Let us watch and be sober. For they that sleep, sleep in the night. And they that be drunken are drunken in the night. But let us who are, you saw that they in verse number seven, verse number eight, let us who are of the day be sober putting on the breastplate of faith and, and love and for a helmet, the hope of salvation. What's he telling these people here? Listen, have your heart right and your mind right. Look what it says, the bre breastplate of faith. That's right here, your heart. The helmet of the hope of salvation, that's your head. We're gonna get in this a little bit because let me just tell you something. Satan will mess with your mind. Right. You're living in perilous times, you're living in prophetic times. And if you're not careful, you hit all this stuff, you hear this, you hear that, and first thing you know, you, your heart's, and he, he wants you to be steady in the Lord. Ver, look at verse number nine. Everybody ought to mark this verse. For God hath not appointed us to wrath. Amen. He's not appointed us to tribulational wrath, neither has he appointed us to eternal wrath. That's what, and by the way, he's gonna tell you, is it, but to what? Obtain salvation by our Lord Jesus Christ. 
And why, what is this salvation? How do we get this salvation? Look at verse 10, who died for us. That whether we wake or sleep, whether you're still living when he comes or whether you're uh, died in the Lord, we should live together with him. What comfort he's giving these people. Don't get shook by all the junk you hear. Stay with the word of God. Don't, don't let anybody tell you they heard this and saw that. Stay with the Bible. And then he says, wherefore, comfort yourselves together and edify one another, even as also you do. Now, what's going to happen here? Paul has been preaching and writing prophetically for several verses from chapter 4, verse 13, down to verse number 10 there, 11 in chapter 5. And he's going to do something that we need to really do strongly. He's going to move from prophetic to practical. Let me just tell you, until Jesus comes and you're going to live this life, you're here. And we need to know how to live now. And you're getting ready to enter into an ocean of scriptural doctrine that is so short, so quick, so punctual, so specific. This is one of the most amazing gardens that you'll ever walk into in the Word of God. Getting ready to walk into a garden of truth. And he takes off here. Now, so he's moving from a prophetic scene to a practical you know, we can buy a cabin or get us a tent, move in the mountains, back in the hills and say, I'm just going to, you know, I got all my five gallon buckets and, and I ain't going to tell nobody about Jesus. I'm just going to say, here he comes. That's not what God wants you to do. God wants you not to be salt, wants us to be light. He wants us to show that we don't have to be shaken nor troubled in mind, that we know what's going to happen. We may not know the exact time, but we know what's going on. And God has given us specific promises and our hope is in the death, bro, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. God is still sovereign. God's in control. We're not worried about it. We may not like a lot of the things that we see, but we don't have to be shook up about it. I'm telling you, I'm so thankful yesterday, Van, that our mother, I didn't have to, I didn't sit there and wonder where mom was. I knew where mom was. And either mom's in heaven or this Bible's a lie. And it's not a lie. To my mom, as long as the day I knew her, her solid faith in the substitutionary sacrificial death of Jesus Christ, faith in it place. And I want to say to the church, thank you for coming in the love and the ways that you've shown love in this time. But I'm telling you, I've staked my eternity on this book. Amen. Now he says, all right, I've given you this prophetic picture and all this that's going to happen. But he said, you're still here. You guys are going to go out of this church pretty soon. You're going to get in your car and you may have a flat and the motor may blow up on the way home. Tomorrow things may happen in your life that you never dreamed about. The next year you may see things that you never, your wildest imagination happened in your life. And you're going to have to deal with things while you're here. And he's going to move into some practical Christian living that I just love. This is one of my favorite passages in the Bible getting ready to come up. Now we're going to kick off verse number 12. We beseech you, brethren, to know them which labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you and to esteem them very highly in love for their work's sake and to be at peace among yourselves. And now we take off in this verse number 14. We exhort you, brethren, warn them which are unruly, comfort the feeble-minded, support the weak, be patient toward all men. See that none render evil for evil unto any man but ever follow that which is good, both among yourselves and to all men. Rejoice evermore, pray without ceasing, in everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. Quench not the spirit, despise not prophesyings, prove all things, hold fast that which is good, abstain from all appearance of evil, and the very God of peace sanctify you wholly. And I pray God your whole spirit and soul and body be preserved blameless unto the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Faithful is he that calleth you who will also do it. Mark that verse in your Bible. You're not going to do it. He's going to do it. Brethren, pray for us. Now I have a little trouble with this verse. Greet all the brethren with a holy kiss. I'm just going to shake your hand, all right? Be okay. But you know what God's mean there. I mean, greet one another. Be friendly to each other. Uh, consider your brethren special to you in the Lord. He said, now I charge you by the Lord that this epistle be read unto all the holy brethren. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Amen. Heavenly Father, I pray now that you'd help me to preach, uh, Lord, clearly. And I pray under the anointing of the Holy Ghost and feed the flock of God. 
Lord, I am so thankful for the practical teachings of the Bible and the guidance that we have, the truth that we have in living day by day. God, this thing is chunk full. I don't know how long you're going to have us here, Lord, in this park, but I pray it'd be as long as you'd have us to. And uh, Lord, help us to get all that you want us to. And then I pray, God, it just wouldn't be stuff we've read, but stuff that literally goes into the being of who we are. And God, I pray you'll be glorified today in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, I want to say something to you. I'm going to mention a verse and then I'm going to go back. I want you to go to verse number 15. See that none render evil for evil unto any man, but ever follow that which is good both among yourselves and to all men. I'm going to preach on that verse next Sunday and I'm going to preach the unknown Jesus. God has shown me and I'm sure other people, that the church, one of the main problems with the church is the unknown Jesus that's not being preached and taught in this nation. It has killed our churches. And it has to do with how we respond to people that have done us evil. And I believe with all my heart that most Christians, including myself, have most of our Christian lives lived in a lie that we were taught at church that is so false that it's instead of fixing problems that people have among each other, it perpetuates them. God's been dealing with me about this for months. And this week, the Lord anchored it down. I got up the other night when the Lord began to open my eyes to scriptures. And I'm telling you, I started reading about, I started reading things that Jesus said over here and I started reading what things Jesus said over here and I said, how's this going to be reconciled? I said, God, these things aren't matching. And so I don't know when I'm going to preach that. Probably next Sunday morning, if the Lord be willing. But if I preach that, I'm going to tell you something. You ought to be here. It'll help you. This morning, we're going to preach on the verse number 14. Now we exhort you, brethren, warn them that are unruly, comfort the feeble-minded, and support the weak, and be patient toward all men. I want to preach on the thing right now, first of all, warn the unruly. It's so easy to pass over that little phrase, that's not a little phrase. This is one of the most important aspects of practical Christian living you're going to get. It is amazing to me that Christian people think that when the government says something about their rule, they ought to obey it. Now, how many of you on April the 15th, the government says, do you send your taxes in and you owe taxes? How many are pretty prone to do that? You don't want the IRS knocking on your door. And yet, the word of God comes and tells us a rule. And I'm going to throw some, notice the word rule. Ru unruly. They'll not have anybody rule over them. I brought with me this morning a ruler. This is one of the most powerful things there is in the world right here in your hand. Without it, this building could not have been built. People don't seem to have any trouble. Kenny, you're in the construction business. How would you like to have a crew that had three different types of rulers? It's not going to work. This is where we've got a big problem in this country. And if you're not careful, it'll mess your life up beyond, beyond your imagination. If you've got a carpenter crew out here working and the man up there on the rafter says, cut me one seventeenth, cut me a seven foot and, uh, and, and five sixteenths inch board. That man on the ground better have the same ruler he's got up there. And he better be real careful that he's reading the light and not little marks. Now, if you want to holler at me, go four, four inches and six marks, and I'll probably try to get it. All right? But this is a ruler. It's funny to me that we don't have a problem obeying the ruler. Why did they even name this ruler? Something has to rule if you're going to build a life. Right. That's good. Something has to rule. There has to be an authority that says the standard. Now, I have preached here in the last year that we don't live by rules in this church, but that's not really true altogether. We don't want you feeling like there's a bunch of rules hanging on top of your head. We want you to obey the precepts in the Word of God because you love Him Amen. and you want to honor Him and you know it's, God has your best in mind. We don't want you feeling like that because I go to church here, because of mom and dad, I've got to follow all these stinking rules. And if I ever get a chance, I get out from underneath these rules, I'm gone. If you have that attitude, you have a heart problem. Right. 
because God has rules in his word. And he tells here in this epistle, the pastors, especially because it just gets through ministering those that are over you in the Lord, warn those that are unruly. What is he saying? That those in the congregation who will not obey the rules of God's word, you warn them. They're in danger. They're in trouble with God. And so this morning we're going to talk about that. A warning to the unruly. They will not be ruled. They hate or despise and disobey anything or anyone who wants to rule them. They will have no authority over their lives. That's what's wrong with America today. They will not submit to God-ordained authority. They hear the Word of God, the Bible, but they will not let it rule their lives. If you... I want to ask you the question this morning. I just, I just because I did myself, and I'm ask, I still am. What is my attitude toward God's rules? What's my attitude? Not just the ones I'm okay with, but what about the ones I have a hard time thinking about? Am I selective in my obedience to God's rules? Rules are a standard of conduct. How many wants to live in a country where there's no rules? You can just steal, rape, pillage, murder, drive 150 if you want to. How many of you have some rules in your house? There's some things that's not going to go on at your house. Now we don't, you know what, we've allowed ourselves, we're not careful. We've got to where we think, it's, oh, we don't want to have a bunch of rules around here. God doesn't say that. God's kind of woke me up this week. He said, Reggie, don't you go very far with this thing of me not having rules. You pull that back into scriptural balance because I do have rules. Amen. I have rules to live by and if they're violated, a building will collapse. A life will collapse. Right. Rules are a standard of conduct. They're to control conduct. They're to restrain evil. They're to provide peace. They're to set boundaries, law and order. Did you ever think about that? Law and order? That without law, rules, no order? That's what's going on in our country? Uh, rules are a measurement, like right here. In our nation today, we have rules of volume. I brought a cup from Karen's Kitchen. I want anybody to tell me, somebody tell me how much is this? Hmm? Much a smart Alex, that's a half a cup. But I don't need that. I just throw it in. Some of you do that, right? And you get by with it because it's not that far away. a pinch. But if you're really going to get down to it, a half a cup, what if it was something that was going to kill or, kill or heal somebody? And it said a half a cup. You say, well, I don't need, no, I don't need measuring cups. We don't use them around. I don't need them. I'll build my house. I don't need t- measuring tapes. What's going to happen to you? This here is the little ruler. It's what it is. The, you don't get, well, I think that's three cups. Yeah. You want a doctor who uses a syringe that, ah, it don't matter, let's give him three, you know. <laughs> Do you want to go to a restaurant and you say, well, I want a cup of, of uh, uh, Coke and, and they come and give you a little, well, our cups are different than your cups. Our cups are this big, your cups are... No, you know what? We need standard. And this, if you want a nation, you want a home, you want a life that's stable and successful, you better have some rules and it better be God's rules. Okay? Yeah. Now, we have uh, rules of volume. We have rules of weight. How much is 40 pounds? 40. What's a pound? 16 well, what's 16 ounces? What's an ounce? I'm going somewhere with this. What's an ounce? Let me ask you a further question. Who decided what an ounce was? And who decided that 16 ounces is a pound? Does anybody know? I didn't either until I looked it up. But I just use it. But you know something? You go into a store and you buy, we got all these rules. We'll get back to that. There's, there's rules of length. Again, here in the ruler. There's rules about speed, miles an hour. We know there's rules about tools. This really, this one really gets me. How many is going to work on something? Stupid things metric. I will tell you something. 
the, this issue alone, and I, I had my brain woke up this week about this issue, and I, we're just having church. So when I, I'm not, I'm not, I'm just going to preach what God's given me, and you. Like, but, but I'm telling you something. God woke me up and says, you know what, what? What would it be if you could go into a country and they had standard tools and you could talk them all, make everything they got to work on a metric? Do you realize what you've got going? A massive economic upset in that country, because they're all going to have to buy different tools or different equipment. So I got to ask myself, why did America use standard measurement? Why do I have standard, you know, uh, let's go, what, 7 sixteenths, and then what is it? Half, and then what is it? 9 sixteenths, and then 7 eighths, and then an inch, and an inch, and a quarter, and blah, 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 and I miss some, I know. I see some of you mechanics going, I know he don't know nothing about it. Okay? <laughs> That's right, I don't think that's why I take it to a mechanic. But why do we use three quarters and not eight millimeter or 13 millimeter? Does anybody know? And why, what, what's going on in our nation since we've changed the rules? Now I'm just gonna to toss this at you real quick. Right here is a system of measurement. You don't reckon anybody's changing the rules. Time is a system of rules. Money. Uh, you have cents. They don't amount to much. How many of you just walked over pennies in the last year? Anybody, anybody seen a penny and just, you just didn't even pick it up? Why didn't you stop and pick it up? It's not worth much, is it? Why isn't it worth something? We're talking about this whole subject here. You see, it's not, and I'm going to, what God uses the physical world to show you the spiritual world. When, all right, here we go. We're going to rabbit trail just like Bible class. This week I was reading my Bible and I about fell over. And I called one of my boys and I asked him some questions about money. Now money is a measurement. We have dollars. You have different, uh, what do you get, dollar, five dollars, ten dollar bill, twenty dollar bill, three dollar bill, two dollar <laughs> bill, you know. And you have cents, dimes, quarters, nickels, and so forth. And how, and how many figured out that a quarter is not what a quarter used to be? But who changed that rule? And a nickel, it isn't what it used to be. And who changed that rule? You watch me, you follow me. God is telling our nation what's happening in the spiritual realm by showing us what's happening in the physical realm. In the Bible, gold is a picture of deity, God, who is unchanging and of eternal value, never changes. In the Bible, silver is a precious metal, speaks of redemption. Okay? How many's got a dollar bill on you? Anybody want to pull one out? Pull, pull your dollar out. And again, I'm going somewhere, but I'm not sure where, but I'm going. He's broke. Yeah. Did you see, how many see the little clip, little, the little black boy is yeah. being asked something, and he's, he's being asked, he said, Joe has uh, $1, and he has 20, two quarters, and has six, uh, six dimes, and, and, and a nickel, and three pennies. How much money does Joe have? He says, Joe don't have no money, he broke. That's <laughs> <laughs> the truth of this. This dollar, in 2017, would buy way more than it'll buy today. Why? Who changed the rules? In, does anybody know what in the early 70s, <laughs> in the early 70s, Richard Nixon was president and he took us off of what? The gold standard. What was the gold standard? Give me that dollar again. That dollar was backed by gold or silver. 
And you could legally go to the government and say, I want gold. Mm -hmm. We were taken off the gold standard in the early 70s. How many knows when the false Bibles really started kicking in in this country? 60s. 60s. I want to tell you all something. This dollar ain't hardly worth nothing, and you know it. That's right. But it didn't get here overnight. No. But I tell you how it got here by taking it off the gold standard. Once they took it off the gold standard, they could print as much of it as they wanted to. Because it wasn't backed by anything. And America went off the gold standard. Let me tell you what's going on. In the 70s, we had our first real big hot taste of inflation. And that meant that money was worth less and less and buy less and less. And you had $20,000 in savings and you left it there for five years and found out at the end of five years it wouldn't buy even maybe 20% of what, you, what it would have when you started saving it. Yeah. Right. And all of a sudden, you don't, you don't really have, you, oh, you've got 20000 but you don't really have any money that you can do anything with. Yeah. Because inflation stole it from you, and they stole it from you because they took you off the gold standard. Right. But it didn't hit America all of a sudden. Right. It seemed good for a while. Dollar still looked like dollar, pretty close. Except... It doesn't, tell, it doesn't say on there that you can redeem that with gold or silver. Right. America went off the gold standard when it left the authorized King James Bible. Yeah. Right. And the Christian faith in America is getting worth less right. and less and less. And it didn't happen overnight. It didn't happen real quick until there'll be a day when it's good for nothing That's right. but to be cast out like Germany was before Hitler. History repeats itself. We're going to go broke financially and we're going to look for a savior. We're going to look for somebody who can fix it and he's going to be an antichrist. And you know why? because we wouldn't let God rule over us. We're going to be our own rule. We'll decide what money is. And the second we did that, we set ourselves up for, for the downfall and collapse of our nation. Now, that's in, uh, I'll just say this to you. America is one of three nations that do not use metric as far as a national system of measurement. In the 1790s, our forefathers decided to use what's called the imperial system of measurement that came from England, and they rejected the metric that came from France, and there was a reason for that. France was in the French Revolution where they tied the Bible to the tail of a donkey and let that donkey drag the Bible out of Paris as symbolic that the nation was rejecting the Bible and the Lord Jesus Christ and the Christian faith. Francis had a curse on it ever since. It, never, it could not, it could not feed it. It, it, it can't, I mean, Germany washed, walked in and took them over. Without other nations shout, they couldn't whip themselves out of a wet paper bag historically since they did that. The industrial base was already in American standardized and we wanted to be, our forefathers wanted to be separate from the rest of the world. Your American founders said we want to lead and not follow. We left Europe and it's dark ages ways and we want to complete, we don't even want to measure things like they measure. So you have a dozen eggs. You don't, you don't, you don't do metric eggs. But what's happening in America? We are slowly, gradually changing to metric, to a globalization where everybody will be on the same measurement system. Can I just say to you, this is not in the Bible, but I, I, I'm going to make a wild guess that it's going to happen. When the Antichrist comes on the scene, he'll have an AI produced Bible that he'll demand everybody drop their Bibles and this will be the Bible. He will finally solve and settle the Bible question. You'll have a brand new Bible written by the Antichrist. 
The Christian, the true church, has a different measuring system than the world. We have a Bible. Put up Proverbs chapter 11. Can you guys, Proverbs chapter 11, if you want to look at that. I want you to look at some things here this morning. Proverbs chapter 11, verse number one. And I'm going to do my best to keep trucking here. A false balance is an abomination to the Lord, but a just weight is his delight. Proverbs 16, 11. We'll be looking several verses here, guys. Proverbs 16, just weight and the balance of the Lord. All the weights of the bag are his work. But God does not like for somebody, the, how, here's how they used to do it. The men who take care of the weight, the weight business, weighing up gold or whatever it was you had, maybe your apples or your stuff, their bushel was smaller. Their weight was, it looked the same, but it was lighter. And they would cheat you by false weights and false measurements. That's why in this country we have, in our government has a weight system. They go by every store, they go by every place where there's scales and they check those scales to make sure that they're weighing properly so that people don't cheat each other with them. Because if you have false scales, by the way, God wants you and I to have balanced scales, true scales. He, you know what God wants me to do? God wants me to put the same weight on my sin as I do your sin. And not to do so as false scales. If everybody else's sin is heavier than my sin, then I'm like, you know, I, my, I need to fix my scales, right? That's what Jesus meant when he talked about the moat and the beam. You just got a little moat and you think your brother's got a big beam in his eye, you know, and you just got a little moat. But anyway, go to Leviticus chapter 19 and verse number 35. And I just hope you'll be patient with me. I'm, I'm, I know I'm not preaching. I'm just, I'm just Bible and I don't know what you're going to, I'm trying to give us the Bible. You shall do no unrighteousness in judgment. Watch this. In meat yard, in weight or in measure. God says you don't, you don't do, he said that's unrighteous. You make sure that you're doing right in this issue. God hates false measurements. And by the way, you do too. How many has ever bought a bag, a bag of, of, of uh, 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 potato chips? And man, you thought, man, it's got to get big, you know, it's a big bag. And you open it up and air goes <laughs> down the bottom. There's a little bit. How many has ever go, ain't nothing there. And I paid $3.79 for this little junk, you know. Now, Let's get down to practical in our lives. God says in Timothy, a preacher is to rebuke, to reprove, to exhort with all long suffering and doctrine. The Bible says, watch this, then that sin rebuke before all that all may learn to sin. God says there in this that we read, he said, warn those that are unruly. Now we, what we tend to think is some kid, watch this now, we tend to think some kid that's just being, you know, he's just being ornery in church and he's not, you know, and that's kind of thing. And that's all we think about it. That's not it at all. Right. It, what it is, is God says, I have the biblical rule about these issues of life and you won't pay attention to them. And you're like a kid who just says, I don't have to. Yes. And God says, for the preacher, you warn that. And I'm telling you something, God really got hold of me. He said, Reg, you, you don't take this serious enough. When I, it's, 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 when I tell you to warn the unruly, those that say, I'm not, God ain't telling me how to do. You better take care of that. Rules are prison to the unsaved, but rules are a freedom to the saved. Amen. To the saved and obedient, the lovers of God, it's freedom. To those who are lost and rebellious and God-hating, they're a prison. You can tell a man's, whether a man's saved or not by his attitude toward the rules of God. You can't say, oh, I love Jesus and I'll let Jesus rule my life without saying that I'll submit to the Bible. Amen. Don't, you can't separate Jesus from the word of God. Amen. This is why when people say, well, my Jesus doesn't care about them. My Jesus, this and my, no, no. I would say he's the Jesus. Right. Yeah, he can be your Jesus, but be sure you don't have another Jesus that you've carved out that he obeys your rules instead of you obeying his rules. That's idolatry. Amen. God's rules are right. They're just, they're good, and they're holy, the Bible said. The biblical principle on ruling is if a person, watch this, if a person or a nation will not have God's word rule over them, he will put oppressive rulers over that people or that nation. And if you won't let God rule, in the book of Judges, when they came to, watch with us, when they came to Gideon and they said, Gideon, we want you to rule over us. How many knows what Gideon told them? He said, I'm not going to rule over you. You should have God ruling over you. Our founders would say, no king but Jesus. And they knew that if God would rule America, we would be a free nation with liberty. 
But if we wouldn't let God rule us, he will put oppressive rulers over us. Let me give you an illustration of this in the Second Amendment. We have the freedom by the Constitution to bear arms, right? But what's going to happen? Because we will not balance our, our rights with responsibilities, we're going to lose the Second Amendment because of all these killings, because people are taking the right to bear arms, going in and killing people. And God's saying, if you won't bear the responsibility of owning a firearm, you will lose the right to carry a firearm because you will not let me rule. What's that mean? You don't murder people. That's a rule of God. Thou shall not murder. You say, I don't care about that rule. I'm going to go in and kill people. Then that nation begins to have, we have freedom in the direct proportion to the obedience of God's rule. Amen. Now, it's that way personally. If you won't let God rule in your life, God will bring oppressive rulers in your life and they may not even be people. It might be jobs. The weight of responsibility is in proportion to the measurement of freedom that we have. And that, the result of those two things coming together biblical is what the Bible calls liberty. Liberty in law, that's even in the song. Now, we say we're Christians, we claim to be saved, we claim to be followers of the Lamb, but we're like the people in Acts chapter 7 who said, we will not have this man rule over us. And you know what they were quoting? They were quoting about Moses in the book of Exodus chapter 2. Because they said, we'll not have this man rule over us. But the fact of it was that God had sent Moses to rule over those people and to lead them out of Egypt. And they said, we'll not have this man lead, uh, rule over us. Be real careful about God-ordained authority. Amen. Understand, because I've watched this down through the years. I didn't know this when I started preaching. I just literally didn't know it. I knew I ought to mind and obey and honor my mom and dad and all that, you know. But I didn't understand God-ordained authority. And I'm going to tell you something. David sinned horribly. But God never removed that authority that he had in people who bucked against him, even his own son. What happened to Absalom when he bucked against his dad? His daddy was God-ordained authority. He said, well, my dad did this and my dad did that and my dad did this. I'm telling you, God didn't, God didn't say that he was removed from his authority just because his daddy didn't do right. God always protects and gives freedom and liberty under God-ordained authority. And by the way, I'm telling you, sometimes God sets horrible rulers over people because of their, they, they, won't, they won't mind God. I'm telling you right now, the thing I got out of this this week is America is going to lose more and more and more and more of its freedoms as we more and more and more refuse to obey this book. That's right, that's right. Hebrews 13:17 says, Obey them that have the rule over you, for they watch for your souls. That's they that give an account. That scares me. I'm going to give an account to Almighty God. You know what? When I die, yeah, I'm going to be with the Lord, but I'm going to stand at the judgment seat of Christ. And I'm going to be judged for how I dealt with this church. I'm going to give an account for how I ruled in this church. And whether you want to admit or not, a pastor is a ruler in a church. That doesn't mean he's some hot rod. Let him that is chief among you be servant of all. But a daddy is to rule his family. Amen. A mother, parents are to rule the children. There's levels of authority in the Bible and God teaches it. Now listen, God is saying here, he's warning, warn those that are unruly. Do not be a person who refuses to allow God's word to rule over you. Let me say, give you one of the greatest blessings of life. When you walk into this church, when you're reading your Bible, now everything you hear preached or taught from this pulpit, you ought to examine it against the word of God. Say amen right there. Amen. All right. But if it's from the Bible, I want to ask you a question. Do, what's your attitude about it? Do you rationalize away obeying the word of God? He's saying there, don't be a person who refuses to allow God's word to rule over you. So I want to ask you a question, Dan. I want you to answer it to yourself. Do you have a heart that is submissive to every rule of God's word, him giving you grace to do so? Or have you justified disobedience and rebellion to God? We tend to rationalize and justify rebellion against God and, and God's rule in our lives. We select certain areas of scripture that's going along with how we're living. The rest of it we just neglect or rationalize it away somehow or another. Rebellion, the Bible said, is the sin of witchcraft. 
This people honoreth me with their lips, the Bible said, but their heart is far from me. Could it be that the unruliness in the church, the, the refusal of the church to let God's word rule in their life is the reason the church has no influence in America anymore? Yeah, that's good. And I'll give you some examples of this. The Bible, God's word is to be the, the, the rule of faith and practice for the Christian people. How many believe that? Amen. This Bible is the rule. Reg Kelly's not the rule. My opinions are not the rule. This Bible is the rule of faith and practice. I am not the source of authority. I'm just a man under authority. But I am to warn and rebuke and reprove and exhort with all long suffering and doctrine. Uh, tonight we're going to look at a lot of passages, but we can talk about, let's talk about rules for here a little bit. And we'll go home and tonight we'll come back and we'll look at some of the rules, the passages of scripture. Does anybody in here happen to know where the first mention of rule in the Bible is? You ought to, you ought to look it up. It's the sun ruling over, over the day. It's a picture of Jesus Christ ruling in this world. The second time it's mentioned, I believe, is the husband ruling over the wife. I'm going to tell you right now, when you get, you get a society that has Jesus not ruling and a society where the home is not in structure God give it, you're going to have a messed up country. And that's what, exactly what we got. Amen. Let me give you a few things, some rules in the Bible. Are you ready? How many is ready? Say amen. amen. Husbands, love your wives even as Christ loved the church. How many thinks that, is that a good rule? Or, how many thinks that's a bad rule? Raise your hand. How many thinks it's a good rule? Raise your hand. Amen. How many thinks it's a good rule, but you don't want to obey it? Raise your hand. <laughs> Can I tell you right now, if you don't obey that rule, you're going to have trouble in your house. Right. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself for it. That's a rule. Hey. It ought to be obeyed. It's not arbitrary. It's not up to you. It's not up to you to set a new measurement. Hey. How about this in here? Wives, submit yourselves unto your own husbands as unto the Lord. Bad rule? How many think it's a bad rule? How many think it's a good rule? How many wants to obey it? You see where I'm going with this thing? Hey, I'm going to tell you what. You can rabbit trail this thing clear through the Bible. You'll find out. That's well, not one of the rules I want to obey. How about this? Your children obey your parents. Rule. Bad rule? Good rule? Yes. But are we going to do it? Service, be obedient to them that your masters. If you're to have an employee, have an obedient spirit. Try to do what they ask you to do. Amen. Bad rule, good rule. Good. Children, honor thy father and thy mother. Bad rule? No. Good rule. Good, good rule. <laughs> Love one another. Bad rule. <laughs> good rule? Good. First commandment. <coughs> Forgive. Bad rule? No. I was reading this morning. You know, if you don't forgive from your heart, it ain't just head heart stuff, it's forgive from your heart. And by the way, that's what I'm going to preach on next night. I'm telling you something. God showed me something through all this this week, just blew me away. And I could see it for the first time I've really had. Well, anyway, how about be kind? Bad rule? No. Hmm. How about uh, uh, provide for your own house? Work for a living? That's a bad one. God said, if you don't provide for your own house, you're worse than an infidel. Right. Bad rule? Good rule. Yeah. So far, you know what? Everything I've read out of the Bible, everybody says, good rule. Yeah. How about this one? Bring up your children and nurture the admonition of the Lord. Yeah. Good rule. But what's that mean? Does that mean you're going to let the world tell them how to think? Let the world push the stuff down their throats? Even nowhere in your Bible you find that, that, that the world's supposed to train your children and bring your children up. Amen. That's right. Good rule, bad rule. What do you think God knows what he's doing? Amen. Oh boy, here we go. Are you ready? Everybody? <laughs> Pilot just notified us of hitting some rough hair, tighten your seatbelts up. Paul said he didn't permit women to speak in the church. Bad rule, good rule. Are you sure? Paul said, Timothy, 
If they're not to usurp a man's, usurp authority over the man. This whole country, this whole country hates that. Hardly anybody's obeyed it anymore. God says rule. Modest apparel. That's for everybody, not just women. But it is also specifically to women because that it's, it can be an issue there. How many believe it's a good rule to dress modestly? Amen. Well, what does it mean to dress modestly? Well, I did a study this week I never did before. We're going to look at it. How about cross-dressing? That which appertains, if a man wear that which appertains to a woman, or a woman wears that which appertains to a man, it's an abomination. All that says, all that do so are an abomination to God. Amen. Good rule, bad rule. Can I just tell you something? God don't make any bad rules. Amen. Everything he says is right. The judgments of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. There's not one bad rule in this Bible. Amen. I'll give you something. Watch this. I, I like to fell over. Uh, I did a study on britches. And I couldn't find it in the Bible. Did you know that britches is not in the Bible? It's not. Try to look up the word B-R-I-T-C-H-E-S. It's not in your Bible. But guess what is in your Bible? B-R-E-E-C-H-E-S. And guess who's the only people supposed to wear them? The priest. And there's never was a woman called to be a priest. That means men are to wear britches. This will blow you away. Now, you say, well, ain't no big deal. Well, if it's a big deal, why don't you just do it and submit and obey God? That's right. Quit being unruly. We'll, we'll brag about reading the 1828 Webster Dictionary. Do you know what he defines britches as? Listen to this. A garment worn by men. Check it yourself. Covering the hips and the thighs, a loose garment, and it's derivative from where we also get the word trousers. And he has a quote in there. To wear breeches in the wife is to usurp the authority of her husband. That's in your 820. I know that's, they're a bunch of, they're a bunch of women haters and bigots. I'm not trying to be hard. I'm asking myself, because you know what? There's areas where Reg Kelly, because you know what? I don't care for that rule too much. And by the way, if you want to look it up, Exodus 39, 28, Exodus 28, 42, and 43, Leviticus chapter 6, verse number 10, Leviticus 16, verse number 4, and Ezekiel chapter 44, 18, it has become a problem. This was the clothing of the priest. The priests of the Old Testament were men. Jesus Christ, our great high priest, is a man, the man Christ Jesus. The New Testament church, the husband, is the priest of the home. Webster went ahead and said, I know Webster's not the Bible. I know that. But it's about as close as you're going to get on biblical definitions that you can find in the world. Trousers, the loose garment worn by males extending from the waist to the knee or the ankle and covering the lower limbs. I wonder why it is that we will not let God rule us. Let me tell you something. Cross-dressing started a long time before five years ago or ten years ago. It started with Marlene Dietrich in the 1920s. She was a movie star. She's from Germany. She became an international film star. She was the first woman that was ever put on film with britches on. And she said, they're, and she claimed they're not britches, they're women's pants. You know what? God deals with me on this message because I was just like read by that unruly and started going on down. In fact, you know where I was at? I, was talking, I really wanted to find out what feeble-minded was and I found out. I got it. <laughs> I wanted to go on. It's like the Holy Ghost said, you're not going on. You are not going on. And God began to deal with about this. And I said, Lord, that's how churches are emptied out. And he said, that's exactly right. And you could better figure out real quick, son, again, who do you serve in me or them? Because Reggie, I want to bless those people. 
I want to bless their marriages, their homes, their families, their children. But Reggie, if they're unruly, how can I bless them? If you as their pastor are so afraid of them to not tell them the truth, I'll hold you accountable to that. What area of life are you and I unruled by God? Think about it. I did and it didn't take very long. <laughs> no boy said one time, a lady came up and she was a praying. He said, well, can I help you? And she said, well, I'm, I, 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 I want to talk to God about my sin. He said, what sin is? He said, I don't know. He said, well, it won't take you very long if you'll stay here. Amen. God will bring stuff to your mind that needs to be right. done. I'm going to tell you this, lighten you up a little bit, okay? Now, here's what I'd like for you to do with this message. I would like for you to think about what the Bible teaches and where am I under God's rule about this issue, okay? Am I under God's rule about this issue? Be angry and sin not. The Bible's full of rules, but they're not rules that's imposed upon us as weights. They are freedom. They are joy. They are life. They are liberty. If we have a heart that says, God, if you show me your rules, I just, you give me grace. I want to obey them. I'm not trying to be hard on nobody or nothing here, okay? Because we all are in a growing process. When I got saved, to be honest with you, I look back and I'm astounded at how little I knew about the Bible. I'm honest with you. It just kind of shocked me. I was like, man, wow. I'm glad God saves us. We don't know nothing. Amen. <laughs> we didn't know Jesus died for us. We're a sinner. I'll end this on a, a more friendlier note. Look up there where it says, in everything give thanks in verse number 18. See that? We, won't, we probably won't get there tonight, but I've got to tell you a little story about, uh, I heard on that. Because how many of you here finds it hard to in everything give thanks? When my mom was, when they were told us that she had, was septic and told us that she wasn't going to make it, you know, I was out in the yard there and you know, I come, went to the house and I was walking and I was like, Lord, how can, you know, I just, I knew, but it's hard to get a hold of it. And the Lord started showing me things to give thanks in the middle of that. And so I'm, I'm thankful that God, he literally kind of turned my mind around and I became very grateful and very thankful for so many things about that. But um, there was this guy, he had been to a Christian conference and uh, the, it was a spiritual life conference. And one of the verses they had that they emphasized that entire weekend was verse 18, in everything give thanks. And so he had decided when he left that meeting that he just was going to in everything give thanks. And he went down to the train station and got his ticket and he got on that train. He's headed back to his home church, the old preacher was. And he was decided that in everything, brother, brother, he's, Fakar, he's going to give thanks for it. And he got to the next train stop and this lady and the little boy come on and she plopped right down beside him. And he said, she stunk like they ain't nobody's business. And said that boy was picking his nose and reaching over and doing that in his face. And he said, I kept leaning over to the window and leaning over to the window. And he said, and said, since she pulled out her cigarettes and she just talked 90 mile an hour, he said, she didn't let that pedal off the middle the whole time she was on the train. And he said, then, lo and behold, she fell asleep and leaned over on me. <laughs> and he said, I am the most miserable man you ever met in your life. And, and he said, I, I, finally, he said, I got off the train. He said, Lord, I, I don't know. I said I was going to in everything give thanks. So, Lord, would you just tell me one thing there to be thankful about that? And he said, there's a little still small voice said, be thankful you ain't married to her. <laughs> <laughs> a stand. A stand.